Thanks so much for being here as we launch into the second week of our series, Winning the War in Your Mind. Now, if you were not here last week or if you're new here today, welcome. And uh, we want to, I'll give you a little recap. Last week, we launched this series and we talked about, obviously, it was Easter, Jesus rising from the dead. And we said that Jesus' victory over sin and death gives us a vital victory in our lives, too. We're engaged in a battle, a war, a spiritual war that's going on in our minds. And if that sounds a a little strange and not biblical, listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church nearly 2,000 years ago. He said, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So the strongholds that Paul wrote about are beliefs. Their beliefs about God, beliefs about people, about the world, about ourselves. And when those beliefs are true, what happens is we experience the abundant life Jesus came to give us. But when they're based in lies, in falsehood, we never experience the abundant life that Jesus talked about. So Paul told us that we must teach these false arguments, these proud obstacles, these rebellious thoughts to do what? To obey Christ. Today's scriptures are going to add to that foundational scripture to show us how cognitive behavioral therapy, a modern field involving changing our behavior through changing the way we think, isn't modern at all. In fact, we might say it was invented by the Apostle Paul. That's why Pastor Craig Rochelle references both the Bible, and this modern theory of cognitive therapy uh, in his book. So here's the thing. If all truth is God's truth, let's not be surprised that good brain research in the 21st century lines up with what the Apostle Paul taught us in the first century. There are many popular pastors these days who say that we shouldn't appeal to the Bible as our source of truth these days. Why? Because there's a lot of people out in the world. You might be Some of them think that the Bible is a bunch of myths, legends, or even lies. We live in a culture where truth is seen as whatever works for you is true, whatever works for me is true. So why would we appeal to a source of absolute truth, let alone say that it's the source of absolute truth? Well, the answer is simple. Jesus said, when we know the truth, it will set us free. So we don't apologize for appealing to the Bible as the source of our authority here at New Life because time and experience have shown that when the Bible is lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit, it transforms people from the inside out in ways that nothing has ever done before and nothing will ever do again. So when we look around in our world today, And we see the results of a world that is more and more based on doing whatever we feel like doing, whatever we think is true. I think a reasonable person would ask this question. Has abandoning a standard of truth for whatever works for you and me moved us to a better world? A week or so ago, whenever the subway bombing happened in New York City, a journalist asked New York City Mayor Eric Adams when he thought his reforms were going to impact the crime rate, which has risen by double digits in the last year in New York City. And I thought to myself, they won't. They won't because a mayor's new reforms, even if they're implemented, don't change people. People change 
when our hearts change, and that change starts in our minds. So let's look at today's take-home point. If you're new, the point is the one point I'm going to be making from Scripture that we want to take home and live out in the week ahead. And when you first hear it, it might not make any sense. But if you will receive it, believe it, and then live it, it's going to make a lot of sense. It's how we experience the victory that we receive in our lives, which eventually impacts our families and our communities, our nations, and our world. At least that's what Jesus intends. Remember last week, if you were here, I said that Jesus' victory over sin and death was not a political victory. And then I said, it's a personal victory that when lived out has the power to transform individuals, families, communities, nations, and the world. As we consider how is it possible that Jesus' victory is the ultimate victory in all of history, and how does it impact not all of the people at once, but individuals, I said that is the paradox of the resurrection. It is for the entire world. It really is. But it must be experienced one life at a time. So here's how we start to experience the victory in each of our lives that Jesus died and rose again, returned to heaven, and sent the Holy Spirit to give us. It's very simple. The take-home point is, when you're in a rut, dig a trench of truth to get out. Let me say that again. When you're in a rut, dig a trench of truth to get out. If we're going to win the war, the spiritual war that's going on in our minds, we have to realize the lies that we have believed Uh, about ourselves, about Jesus, about the world. And what they've done is they have dug ruts in our minds. Now, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, Craig Rochelle says this, every thought you have produces a neurochemical change in your mind. Your brain literally redesigns itself around that thought. The same message sent multiple times will create a neural pathway. The presence of a neural pathway makes a thought easier to think and makes it easier for your body to send that same message again. This is a brain rut. So if you were here last week, you might remember that I said this, because I said it several times, a lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. A lie believed as truth will affect your life as if it were true. Those lies create ruts, neural pathways, and, in our, and they're in our brains, and that's why it's so hard to change what we do, even when we say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in our life. It's why New Year's resolutions basically don't work for most people. It's why that behavior modification doesn't really change us if we only focus on behavior. So let's take a specific example. It's one that holds millions of men and increasing numbers of women hostage in our culture. Pornography. The reason people view and read pornographic materials is because pornography develops ruts in our brains very quickly. If you've ever looked at scantily clad or naked bodies, what you know is that your brain responded. The first time you did it, it felt awkward, probably felt wrong, but you immediately received a little hit of dopamine in your brain, and that felt good, and it caused the rest of your body to feel good. And so if you looked at it again, the same thing happened again, and it wasn't quite as awkward. And by the third time, it was not feeling quite so bad. And, and after you've done it multiple times, there's this rut that has formed, and you have a habit or an addiction. You might still feel guilty because you know what Jesus said, that even looking after another person with lust in your heart is the same as committing adultery with them. But your brain keeps responding because that rut is becoming deeper and deeper and deeper. And you feel like there's no way out of it. So the same process works in our minds for any activity, whether good or bad. You really need to look at that statement. The same process works in our minds for any activity, whether good or bad. Our brain is not discerning. 
Whenever a stimulus comes, it doesn't matter to the brain if it's a good thing or a bad thing. It just knows there is a stimulus, stimulus and so it responds. Now, why in the world are our brains like that? It's pretty simple. God created our brains. And God created our brains for a perfect world. In other words, God created our brains to develop ruts so that we would develop what we call habits. Now, how many of you, when you woke up this morning, had to figure out how to get out of bed? Okay, nobody. How many of you had to figure out how to tie your shoes? Unless you're like four or five, not so hard, right? Because you've been doing it for a really long time. There's a brain rut for tying your shoes. How many of you, if you drove here today, had to figure out whether to put it in reverse or drive when you're pulling it out of your garage? You didn't have to think about it. You just flip it in and reverse. In my case, I'm backing out of my garage. I didn't think about it. I didn't really think about whether the light was green or red. I guess it was green because I usually don't go through red lights. You see, our brains develop these pathways, and in a perfect world, what happens? We are wired to do good things, to care about people, to love people. But the thing is, our brain doesn't realize something. The world hasn't been good for a really long time. Sin came into the world a really long time ago. So whether we're doing a good thing or a sinful thing, our brain just knows that there is some kind of thing, and it's making us feel. And we, we, so we give that dopamine, and so if we're developing a rut... What happens is that rut will lead us in the path we're going, even if the rut is leading us away from God. And that's why we have to exchange those ruts and develop trenches over time. I remember uh, back when I was in seminary and I was working under Colonel Arthur Pace, who was Pastor Arthur Pace then, he said this, a rut differs from a grave only in depth and length. As much as we may want to get out of our ruts, they're going to lead us where they take us until we do something to Take that lie, replace it with truth, and dig a trench of truth. And that's why Craig Rochelle says that when we change our thinking, we change our lives. Last week, I outlined the four things that Pastor Rochelle said we need to do to change our thinking. The first thing we have to do is replace the lie with the truth. We talked about that last week. Today, we're talking about rewiring our brains and renewing our minds. Next week, Pastor Barry's going to talk about reframing our minds and restoring our perspectives. And finally, the fourth week, Pastor Alex is going to talk about rejoicing, which means reviving our souls and reclaiming our lives. So if a lie believed as truth, affects our lives as true, the first thing we have to do is replace lies with the truth. Now, I know we already talked about that last week, but let's consider how important it is to recognize the lies that are going on around us and within us. Because Jesus told us the devil is the one who's the father of lies. He is the source of the lies that we believe. So the reason we point to the Bible as the source of truth is because the only way we can overcome lies is with the truth. Jesus told us when we know that truth, whatever the truth might be, it will set us free. The devil keeps us in bondage by telling us that the things that we're doing are good or feel good. They're so attractive. We believe them. We act on the lies which keep become rooted in our brains and we want to have that same feeling over again and so we continue to do it over and over again because as you've heard me say many times, sin is fun until it isn't. Sin is fun. It really is fun. If sin felt like a root canal, nobody would commit sin. But sin is fun until it isn't. Certain drugs actually imitate the same high that any kind of activity does in our brains. And so the reality is this. Here it is. When we're in a rut produced by a lie, we must dig a trench of truth to get out. So ruts in the physical world, 
How do they happen? Soft ground, hard surface. Last winter, a guy backed up our driveway, was delivering some cabinets to our house. He went off the driveway. And guess what happened? The ground was soft, and so his tire made a six-inch deep rut for about 20 feet in our yard. And he only went over it one time. Imagine what would happen if he had backed over and forth, back and forth, back and forth on that same rut. What would happen? Eventually, his wheels would sink in, sink in, sink in, and he would be stuck. And that's the same thing that happens right here in our minds. You see, eventually we get stuck because nobody wakes up one day and say, I think I'm going to ruin my life by doing blank. And you can fill in the blank with, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, sexual immorality, rage, pornography, or any of dozens and dozens of others. But sin is fun until it isn't. Our brains like dopamine, whether it's produced by loving actions or sinful ones. By the time sin is no longer fun, the ruts have developed, the neural pathways have developed. So the solution then is to rewire our brains to dig trenches of truth. That's the second thing that we need to do. If we're ever going to change our thinking and change our lives, what has to happen is we have to get some new thoughts that are truth, and then we have to put those into our minds. And, and you might be saying, well, wait, wait a minute, Chris. This really is starting to sound like psychology to me. Well, then let's turn to the Bible, to Romans chapter 12, and let's see what the Apostle Paul said nearly 2,000 years ago. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So we get into those ruts of sin because we copy the behaviors and customs of the world. I love the original Greek because in the original Greek it says that we get molded. And he said, don't let the world mold you. Like jello, you know, warm jello, you put it into a mold and you put it in the refrigerator. What happens? The jello forms solidly like the mold, whatever shape it is. And so when we let the behaviors and patterns of this world shape our minds, they get molded. And so we start to live the way the world lives. It takes on the shape of, our mind is going to take on the shape of whatever we focus on. And so when we focus on the behaviors and customs of this world, that's what happens. So let's look at another lie that our culture has bought, hook, line, and sinker. We've been told that homosexual practice is normal and good. We've been told that the lines of sexuality aren't really as clear as we think they are. In fact, on Facebook, there are now dozens of different shades of sex and sexuality. But look what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The only place in the Bible where sexuality is in its pure form, unstained by sin, it tells us that God created us as males and females. And then it says, in that condition, that we're to practice our sexuality in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman for life. And that's the truth. Now, many have taken that truth. And without an ounce of love or compassion, they have attacked people who haven't done the right thing in their lives. And here's the reality. Homosexual practice is no more sinful than heterosexual practice outside of marriage or any other sin. All sin develops ruts in our minds that change our behavior, that cause us to live like the world and not like God. So if we're going to replace the lies with the truth, we must accept that truth exists. That's the first thing. And I recognize there are people in the world who don't recognize that. But there is truth, and we have to recognize that it exists, and then we have to turn to any areas in our lives where we're living out the lies, where the ruts have become so deep that we're stuck, and start to dig trenches of truth. If Jesus Christ is Lord, and the word Lord in the Old Testament is simply a stand-in for the word God. 
So if Jesus Christ is God, then he gets to determine what is right and good and true in our lives. And if we're going to experience his salvation from sin and death, not just when we die and go to heaven, but in every day of life here and now, then what has to happen is we must replace the lies with the truth so we know where to dig our trenches. Now this next statement is very crucial. We must be loving and compassionate with each other in this process. Why? Because if we're believing and living lies, they're impacting us as if they're true, even when they aren't. So when somebody is deep in sin, the last thing they need is judgmentalism from anybody. What we need is help. What we need is love and truth. What we need is encouragement. So when we're desperate to stop living in the ruts we're living in, we won't stop doing it until we've agreed with the Bible's method of being transformed by the renewing of, my, of our minds. For much of my life, I thought that being transformed by the renewing of our minds was magic. Now, I would have said supernatural, but it says be transformed. That's passive. It doesn't say transform yourself, so I realized I can't do it. So what do I do? I just pray. So for all, your, all my life, whenever there was a problem in my life, I just prayed. Now, here's the thing. Please hear this. We do need to pray for God to transform us. And we need to participate in the transformation. Paul wrote these words to the Roman Christians that help us see the difference between ruts and trenches. He says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, notice, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. That battle in our mind, it's real. It is very real. Even after we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, I would say especially after we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. The devil doesn't want to give us up. And so the battle rages. And all the thoughts that have come from our sinful natures, from fallen, being fallen people, from living in a sinful world, have developed ruts, neural pathways, habits that we continue until we let the Holy Spirit control our minds and start developing those trenches of truth. Now, I've been using the words trench and rut throughout this message. Let's define the difference. Pastor Groeschel says this, a rut is typically formed in mud and becomes a nuisance, even a danger. A rut is unintentionally created, has no purpose, and requires repair. A trench is intentionally dug to deliver necessary resource. A trench has a specific purpose and fixes an existing problem. I mean, we might dig a trench in our backyard to divert water away from our house so the, the basement doesn't leak anymore. We might dig a trench to put in a gas line so we can bring gas to our homes. A trench is dug intentionally for the purpose of helping and fixing something. So when it comes to our minds, a trench develops when we stop believing the lie when we replace it with truth and then declare that truth repeatedly until it becomes our new reality. So we let the Holy Spirit control our minds, which leads to life and peace. About 15 years ago, I read a book that's called Change Your Heart, Change Your Life. Now, it was written by Dr. Gary Smalley, and he focused on our heart. I'm going to actually picture that little Valentine heart right here. Not the like, actual one that's in there beating in my chest, but the little Valentine heart. He used that picture in the book, and he said, your heart has things written on it. It's the same thing as ruts in our mind. It's just a different metaphor. But the reality, what he said, what Dr. Smalley said is, in my life, for example, I had anger. And when I talk about anger, I'm not talking about righteous anger that I'm upset that little babies are being sold into slavery. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about anger whenever I'm driving down the road. You know, you're driving down in a 35-mile-an-hour speed limit, and there's somebody in front of you, and they're driving 35. You know, I, I would get angry, like really, really angry. So angry that I would drive up on their bumper. You know, my carotid arteries would pop out. I'd get, you know, I'd get high blood pressure kind of thing, that kind of stuff. And like whenever I went to the grocery store and I'm there in the 20 items or less item and I would count and the person in front of me had 22 items. Can you believe it? You know, I mean, don't tell me you don't count. I know you do. So I had these problems in my life. I had these issues with anger in my life. And so what Gary Smalley said I needed to do was what he said was because anger, and actually I had grown up with anger in my own family. My dad was a really angry guy. So anger had been written over and over and over in my heart till it was just dug into my heart. And he said, you have to replace that. He didn't call it lie. He just called it sin um, with truth, truth of God's word. He said, you have to meditate on God's word until what happens is that anger gets under, overwritten with truth. And it's the same thing that Pastor Groeschel is saying. We need to take the rut of, in my case, the really, I mean, that rut in anger, like, it probably split my brain right down in half all the way down to my tonsils, you know? And so I had to have it overwritten with a new truth. And I thought, okay, there's a lot of scriptures in the Bible about anger, but I don't want to remember any of those. I'm going to remember a simple one, the golden rule. I learned it in, you know, Sunday school when I was in probably preschool. And it's very simple. Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. And Jesus said, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So I said that repeatedly. I started praying it repeatedly. I mean, before I got out of bed in the morning, I would say, Lord, let me do to others what I would want them to do to me. And then when I got into situations where the idiots, I mean the people that were you know, out there doing the things that really bothered me, were still doing the things that really bothered me, I would pray, God, okay, that person's in front of me, and I know that they're probably not in as much of a hurry as I am, so please let me do to them what I would want them to do to me. So I would back off from, you know, four feet away from their car to like 40 feet, to however far was reasonable for going that speed limit. One day, after I'd been doing this for a few months, Nancy and I were driving down the road, and there was a guy came up on my bumper. Now, I know what, you know what I used to do. I used to hit the brake. Yes. But I didn't hit the brake that day. Man, some of you got the same issues. Okay, so um, I didn't hit the brake. I hit my turn signal, and I pulled off into the parking lot of a church, and the car went by, and Nancy turned to me and said, what are you doing? I said, well, that person's in a hurry. I just was letting them go by. She said, what? <laughs> what did you do with my husband? Like, you know, what's happening here? And, and so the reality is, little by little, and it took a long, you know, I would say over six-month period of time, I probably prayed, Lord, let me do to that person what I would want done to, to me thousands of times. I'm not exaggerating. Day after day, moment by moment. And over, over time, what happened is the trench of truth allowed the anger. In fact, if you've known me for 15 years or less, you've never seen me anger, angry. But if you're Justin Kovac, <laughs> you've seen me really angry. I'm not, I'm not bragging, but I'm just saying, you can go up, don't ask them the stories because they're sad. They really are sad because I used to get angry over a little, how old were you whenever you beat me in basketball by cheating? <laughs> okay, so see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is, Back in those days, a little kid, 17 years old, beat me in basketball because he knew that the basket, never mind, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm over it. And the reality is, there are still times when those ruts 
Those ruts want to still lead me the wrong way. And this week I found out, you know, I'm preaching on this topic, so I think the devil wanted to discredit my testimony. And so I found myself really wanting to get angry a few times. I had to take a deep breath like I just did, and I had to stop and say, what's the truth? The truth is that I want to do to others what they would, I would want them to do to me. And then I could just, okay, good. You know, because counting to 10 doesn't really work for me. Praying doesn't really work for me, actually. Just praying and doing nothing doesn't work. But what does work is putting the truth in place of the lie. So here's the question. Because the same opportunity is available for you in every single area of your life where your thoughts have been dominated by your sinful nature, where you've been conformed to the patterns and behaviors of this world, where the ruts of lies have kept you and me from experiencing the joys of life and peace. The Holy Spirit is wet, waiting. He's ready. He wants to work in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. He wants to change us from the inside out. So we can't just pray away our sinful natures and our patterns of sin. So here's the key. Whatever it is, we must start by replacing the lie with the truth and then declare that truth until it becomes our reality. Let me say that again. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we must start by replacing the lie with the truth and then declare that, that truth until it becomes our reality. So I, as I said, I declared that golden rule thousands of times over a period of time. And I start my days now with 10 truth declarations, 10 of them. You might need 20, you might need three, I don't know. And I'm not going to share all 10 with you, but I want to share three of them with you. The first one is very simple. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to love, glorify, and serve him. The next one I'm going to share with you is this. It says, I love people and believe the best about others. Whew, I, I love people and I believe the best about others. I mean, that's a truth that I've been declaring for a while now, but it's hard for me to believe some days because whew, I'll tell you what I used to believe about. No, I won't tell you what I used to believe about people. But I love people and I believe the best about others. And then this next one you'll understand because I shared this last week. I said that all my life I believed a lie, that I am not disciplined. I would say that to myself. I'm not disciplined. I can't do stuff. That's why whenever I try to do something physically, spiritually, I just can't do it. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to do it. And so this is the truth that I declare. I say this. I am disciplined. Jesus in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. And I get that from the scripture that I shared with you last week. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So Jesus in me is stronger than whatever the weakness is. So those three truths, along with the other seven, have been rooting out some ruts that have been in there for a really, really long time in my life. So what lies do you need to replace with truth in your life right now? What truth declarations do you need to create and say over and over again from Scripture that will change your life when the Holy Spirit continues to work them into your life over time. So the pattern, that rut that was leading you away from God is now a trench that's diverting you back to God so that you get to live the kind of life that God created you to live. And I get to live the kind of life God created me to live before the foundation of the universe. When we replace the lie with the truth and let our brains start to get rewired, and it takes time, it does take time, but not as long as you think, then your life will be different in the way that you've been wanting it to be, maybe for decades. So here's the next step. If you're new, that's the action point for today's message. It's simple. I will start digging a new trench of truth this week. Notice it says, I will start digging a new trench of truth. I would suggest only one. I worked for six months on one thing, getting that inappropriate anger 
to be out of my life. And then after that six months, I've worked for 15 more years because the ruts want to keep coming back. It's like dandelions, you know what I'm saying? I hate dandelions, just saying. And they just keep coming back unless you take care of them. You got to take care of them over time. That's probably not a good analogy. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit more help as we close out right now. I would encourage you to buy the book. I don't get any royalties or anything. Winning the War in Your Mind or the Audible book because some of you don't like reading, but you can listen as you're driving in your car. I've listened to the book three times and I've read it once. I've skimmed it several times. I've outlined it because there's those four principles that we already talked about too now, the replace, the rewire, and now the reframe next week, and then the rejoice principles are changing me from the inside out. And what I love best at the very back of the book, he has this section, and it's called Bible Verses for Winning the War. And it talks about all these different areas where people sin. (laughs) And I mean, the Bible talks about all of them because the Bible understands what the truth is. So we are going to either live ruts of lies and have the behavior of the world, or we're going to dig trenches of truth and we'll eventually have the behavior of Jesus. It's really our choice. It really is. But until we make the choice of trenches of truth, we'll always wish that we were different, maybe pray to be different, but we'll never change. Jesus created us (laughs) to be like him, and we need to change for that to happen. He's the only one who never had to change. So right now, first thing you need to do, make the choice, truth or lie. And when you live the truth, you'll be set free. Last week I said that the most important lie that we had to get rid of was that we were in control. But there are so many other lies that we believe. And the only way to get rid of these lies is if we do what Pastor Chris told us, which is to dig trenches of truth. And the only truth that can help us do that is God's truth. And the only way to know the truth is to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Here at New Life, we say that this is simple, but it's not easy. It's as simple as ABC. A, we admit that we're sinners, and we admit that we need Jesus as our Lord and Savior. B, we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And C, we confess. We confess that we're sinners, we confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, and we commit to following Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. You can pray this with me or you can pray it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner and I need Jesus. I need Jesus' truth in my life, in my heart, in my mind. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son and that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose on the third day and I believe that he came here to be my Lord and Savior. And I confess, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I will commit to following him every day of my life, and I will use his truth to live a new version of me, the version that you made me to be, Lord. And I thank you for this gift of salvation that comes from Jesus Christ. And in Jesus' name I pray.